Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It's hard to wait for something promised, especially when you're a kid, when you're a little kid and you can't yet process the idea of time. Our youngest son, Stephen, and his wife, Elle, and the two little kids, they've been waiting for their new dog, their new puppy. And two months ago, they, they put the deposit on him and they told their kids, who were very small, Sophie and Zeke are real little, they said, we're going to have a dog. But a kid doesn't know what a week is or what a month is. Of course, Stephen and Elle understood that they had to wait for eight weeks for the dog to be able to be separated from his mama and, and come to live with him. But they had told their kids, we're going to have a puppy. So every day when the kids got up, they wanted to know, is the puppy here? Is the puppy here? Where's, where's Rocky? And that's what they named him. They named him Rocky Waffles. And so Friday, Stephen and I drove up to this tiny little town in Kansas, and we picked Rocky up, and we brought him back, and the kids got to see him. And that's, that's Rocky Waffles. <laughs> well, we understand why kids have a hard time processing the concept of time. We adults know what a week is. We know what a month is. We understand the reasons why things have to be delayed. But it's hard to wait when you're a kid, and you can't yet process the idea of time. But here's where it gets personal for you and me, because when it comes to God and us, his understanding of time and our understanding of time and Christmas, we have a problem too. And the problem goes like this. God makes long distance promises and commitments because he can. There are two things that humans can ever do. You know, God has given us the ability to do a whole lot of things, but there are two things humans cannot do. We cannot undo the past. No matter how your life has changed, you cannot go back five years or 10 years and unring the bell. You cannot back through a plate glass window, a broken window. You cannot undo the past. And for many of us, that's a problem because there's still something that we've done in the past that haunts us even yet today. So the first thing we can't do is change the past. The second thing that we can't do is we can't foretell the future. Now, you know, we prognosticate, we, we, we make predictions based on previous happenings, but at the end of the day, we don't know the future. If you could know the future, you'd be a millionaire by next week. I mean, just handicapping the football games today or the stock market. But there are two things that human beings can never do, no matter how smart they get, and they cannot change the past and they cannot tell the future. But God can. God can tell the future. And not only does he tell the future, God gets way out in front of things, and he makes pronouncements and promises. I mean, just think about some of the things that the Bible told us that we're just now sort of figuring out. I mean, this first one we figured out several centuries ago. But for a long time, human beings thought the earth was flat. But if they'd ever read the book of Isaiah, they would have read the verse where the Bible says, He who sits on the circle of the earth. I mean, the Bible called the earth being round around 2,800 years ago. If you read the book of Genesis, it says we all go back to the same male and female ancestor. And that was something that wasn't believed for a long time. But just in the last few decades, we've discovered science and DNA has taught us that we all have an MRCA, a most recent common ancestor. The most recent common female ancestor, most recent common male ancestor. 
<laughs> and of course, there were those um, in the Darwinian mindset that wanted to make sure that we understood that the MRCA male and the MRCA female didn't live at the same, same time. They weren't contemporaneous. It is interesting, it's of note, that it was the scientist who branded the most common, uh, most, uh, common recent ancestor for the female. They called her mitochondrial Eve. And the male they call chromosomal Adam. But like I said, they wanted to make sure that those of us who believe in biblical creation didn't get the idea that they existed at the same time. So here was the idea. They said mitochondrial Eve was estimated to live 200,000 years ago. Mitochondrial Adam lived far earlier than that. So they couldn't have gotten together. In fact, the date for mitochondrial, uh, for, for chromosomal Adam was conveniently poised at 237,000 B.C., so that 37,000 years would be a buffer, somewhere between 200 and, excuse me, 237,000 and 581,000 B.C., long range there. In fact, there was a paper published in March of 2013 that determined with 95, 95% confidence and provided there were no systematic errors in the study's data, Chromosomal Adam lived, as I just suggested, between 237,000 B.C. and 581,000 B.C., 95% certainty. But just in the years since 2013, that's been scaled down a little bit because now the idea is mitochondrial Eve lived sometime between 100,000 B.C. and 200,000 B.C. That means we've shaved off 100,000 years there at least, possibly. And chromosomal atom is down now, even though we were 95% certain for those dates, chromosomal atom is down to now 100,000 B.C. to 200,000 B.C. So, you know, they could have been contemporaneous now. But of all the sciences, the most divine of the sciences is mathematics because it's the least available to screw up with conjecture. Math tends to be objective. And there were three world-renowned mathematicians, Joseph Chang, Douglas Road, and Steve Olson. They looked at that and they said, mathematically, that is impossible. And they came up with a completely different model. And those three mathematicians said that, you know, our MRCA might have lived as recently as 300 B.C. to, you know, and, and, and again, that's, that's just amazing. But, but um, Douglas... Road from MIT, who's one of the scientists I just mentioned, calculates an age of between 3,000 B.C. to 7,000 B.C. Hmm. Very interesting. And yet God said from the very beginning that we all go back to the same male and the same female. We didn't even pick that up until, well, 1958 when Watson and Crick discovered the long molecule and we have DNA. And yet God called this thousands of years ago. Acts 17 says that we all come from the same blood. We didn't know that until, until we had DNA. In fact, that was a big premise of racism, that we had different blood. But yet God called it 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. It says no matter what race you are, no matter what part of the world you're in, we all go back to the same blood getting even a little more recent. We're talking about God getting way out front of stuff. The Bible says that when Jesus comes, every eye will see him. Every eye see Jesus come back in real time. That's not possible till the internet, and I'll go a step further. I don't even think it's possible till the smartphone. And yet in the book of Revelation, the Bible says when Jesus comes, every eye 
will see him. We also read that in the tribulation that nobody will be able to buy or sell without a mark. We're still watching. Even now, it's still evolving. We're still watching how electronic commercial restriction works. Not big for us anymore, but God gets way out in front of things. And he tells us things that are going to happen in the future. These and hundreds of others, God, God just gives us long-distance commitments, statements, and promises. But there's a human issue with this. God is eternal, and we live relatively short lives. I mean, God, for those of you who love geometry, God is kind of like the concept of a line. When you were in mathematics and you were in geometry, you learned that a line is represented by a segment and arrows on either end signifying that the line goes into infinity in both directions. Well, that is how God is. And I almost said that we're like a line segment, but we're really more like a ray because we have a point of beginning, but then we have eternity in our future. But as far as our lives down here, we live relatively short lives, and therein lies a little bit of a disconnect. Just as my grandkids had a hard time understanding how long it was going to take them to get rocky, we have a hard time processing God's long-distance promises. Because living short lives, God often makes promises thousands of years before we were born, and the fulfillment could even be somewhere in the future after we leave this world. And so in this little line segment that we live in, if God has made a long-distance promise way out there in the future and it doesn't come true in our life, we can begin to wonder, is it really going to happen? You know, it's amazing to me. I've just had this thought as I've been working on this series for months now. It hits me that the one thing that should lead us to worship, a la God's ability to get way out in front of things, tell us what's going to happen. The one thing that should lead us to worship God could be the one thing that causes us to doubt. Because if God has made us a promise and it doesn't seem to come true, Stephen and I were talking in our, my office before I came out here, and I said, Stephen, your credibility has finally been certified with your kids now when the dog came in because they had to question, is he really telling the truth that we're going to have a puppy? Because we get up every morning and there's no puppy. I want you to do something. As best you can, go back with me in time to Jerusalem or Bethlehem. They're only a few miles apart. In the, in the year somewhere around 4 B.C., because we think that's, the, the calendar's a little off. We think Jesus was probably born somewhere around 4 or 3 B.C. And I want you to put yourself in the picture. Put yourself back there. God had made a promise. He made a promise that a king... A savior would be born. And he got way out in front of it, at least 4,000 years. If you have a Bible in your lap or if you have an electronic device with a Bible in it, the very first promise that Jesus is coming into the world, guess which book? Genesis. Early, chapter 3. The first human being, our MRCAs, had just screwed up. Well, actually, I said our most common recent answers. That would be Noah's family. But still, we all go back to Adam and Eve. So they had just screwed up. God, God could have been, he said you can have anything you want, just one rule, don't break it. But you know human nature, they break it, and they are separated from God, and they're about to be drummed out of the Garden of Eden. And it was at that moment that God gave the first promise about Jesus coming into our world. And why did he ever get way out in front of it at least 4,000 years? And here's what the Bible says. I mean, by the way, do you know who God made the first promise to that Jesus would come in the world? 
It wasn't Adam, it wasn't Eve. It was Satan. Basically, God was saying, you screwed up my man and my woman. You messed them up. But I'm going to send somebody into this world who's going to run the table and do what they didn't do right. And you're going to bruise his heel, but he is going to cave your head in. That's Genesis 3.15. But it wasn't just that. There are all kinds of promises way out in the distant future about Jesus coming to our world. Numbers 24 says his birth would be accompanied by a star. Genesis 49 Still in the first book of the Bible, Jacob is getting ready to die. He calls his 12 sons in. He said to Judah, all the kings are going to come from you, from your tribe. Well, that's way out in front because there are no kings for nearly a thousand years. And Israel wasn't a nation to have a king, yet they were just a family. And yet God is way out in front of it. And he's saying, all the kings will come from the tribe of Judah. You want to see this prophecy? Want to take a look? Genesis 49. The scepter, that's what kings hold. The scepter shall not leave Judah. He'll keep a firm grip on the command staff until the ultimate ruler comes and the nations obey him. Wow, that's Genesis 49, telling us something we haven't seen yet. Well, about 900 years later, that first king came. He was a guy named David, and the way God said it, he was a man after his own heart. And David loved God so much, one day David said to God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. Well, actually, he said it to his pastor. And every once in a while, pastors can be really, really wrong. I just want you to know that. His name was Nathan. And Nathan said, cool, David, that's a great thing, man. Build God a house. God's all over there. He's going to love it. Nathan went home that day, and God said to Nathan, you're going to have to go back and talk to David because you told him something that wasn't true. And he said, I'm not going to let him build a house for me. I'm going to let his son build a house for me, Solomon. But those of you who like to study history, especially dynastic history, you understand that house is a a term that can be used in two different ways. It can be an actually physical abode where people live, or it can also be a term for a dynasty. Like in England, we know the house of Windsor, Windsor. And God used this turn of phrase with David. God said to David, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make you a promise that one of your descendants is going to be on the throne forever. Forever? One person? God's way out in front. Well, David lived somewhere around 1,000 B.C. Let's move forward in time to the 8th century. A guy by the name of Isaiah came along, and God said to Isaiah, Hey, I'm going to dial this in a little tighter. The Lord will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. Now, I know I'm losing somebody right now because you're saying it is impossible for a virgin to have a baby. We all know that the sex cells of the male and the female have to come together. It forms what we call in biology the zygote. And it's impossible for a human being to come into our world without a human father. Hence the point. I would argue if first human beings came into the world without either a human mother or a human father. And then two chapters later, God gives us even more information as he's long distance casting the prophecies of the future. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Hello, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. That's around 750 B.C. Micah, the prophet, comes along around 500 B.C. 
And he lets us know in Micah 5, 2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That's when the wise men came to, <laughs> came to Jerusalem and said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Herod said, blow the dust off the Bible and find out. And that's how they knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah called that. God spoke through the prophet Daniel and did something, to my knowledge, he's never done before or since. God gives Daniel a timetable. In the book of Daniel chapter 9, God said to Daniel, in 483 years, that's very specific, in 483 years, Messiah will die young. And that's why the wise men who would have come from the part of the world where Daniel had been, even though that had been 400 years plus before, when the wise men saw, hello, the star, numbers, because he had told them about Numbers 24, 17. When they saw the star, they got together. They went to Bethlehem. And, and when they got to, well, actually went to Jerusalem. When they got to Jerusalem, that's why they asked Herod, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. They didn't ask, was a king born? They said, where is he? Put yourself in the picture. If you had been in Jerusalem or Bethlehem, B.C., 4 or 5, whenever that was, would you have been looking for the birth of a king? Yes. Maybe. But time has strange effect on us, doesn't it? We went through those promises, and there are a lot more. We went through those promises in a matter of minutes, but the oldest promise was 4,000 years old, and the newest was 500 years old. So let me throw my second thought up on the screen. The first thought was God had made a promise. The second one is it didn't feel like it was going to happen. Put yourself in the picture. A king of the Jews? There hadn't been a king in 600 years. There hadn't been a king from Judah. Let's just put it that way. There hadn't been a king from Judah for 600 years. By the time we get to the 4th and 5th century B.C., Israel has gone into captivity. Actually, Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the Assyrians came in 722 B.C. and took the northern kingdom into captivity. And then the Babylonians came and took the southern kingdom into captivity in three different, 606, 580, uh, 596, and 587 B.C. They took the southern kingdom into captivity, carried people away. Much of Israel wasn't even Israel anymore. I mentioned the northern kingdom being captured by the Assyrians. The Assyrians planted their own people in there. People intermarried, and it had become Samaria. And if you know the New Testament, you know how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. A lot, a lot of Israel wasn't even Israel anymore. You take, if you have a Bible, go to the Testament break. The last chapter of Malachi. And then you'll see a page, typically, and then you'll say New Testament, and you have the beginning of Matthew. Do you know there are 400 years between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew? Scholars call these the intertestament period or the silent years. Would, would you forgive me if, if I just went into a, a real, real quick history lesson? Because you need to understand the intertestament period, those 400 years, if you want to understand how people felt about the possibility of a Messiah being born when he was born. Well, as I said, the Babylonian Empire came. That's who took the southern kingdom away. And then the Medo-Persian Empire. And then Alexander the Great and the Greeks came. And Alexander the Great conquered the world like nobody else ever had. But he died at 33. And he didn't have a successor. He had two kids, but both of them died. And so Alexander the Great's kingdom 
was divided into the regions that were given to his four generals. Two of those generals flamed out, but two of them were very powerful and they became successful. There was Ptolemy down there in the south and there was Seleucus up there in the north. And so it was the Seleucids, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies that were going at it for 400 years. Now, I want you to picture something if you understand geography at all. I want you to think about where Egypt is because the Ptolemies down there and the Seleucids, well, their, their point of, they, they cover a lot of territory. But their main point of operation is in Syria. So just get... Egypt and Syria in your mind. What is exactly in the middle of those two nations? Israel. And so what would happen? It was kind of like a tug of war with the rag going over here and then over here. But, you know, the Seleucids would, would, would get the upper advantage. And then it would be the Ptolemies that go back and forth. And here's Israel. They're in the middle. They're right where the rag is going over. It doesn't matter who's winning. They get kicked around. As brutal as the captivities were, the intertestament period was perhaps the most brutal time that Israel ever experienced. In fact, it got so bad that around 150 years before Jesus was born, there were a lot of Jewish people who said, it just does not pay to be a Jew. We need to forget about the nation of Israel. We need to forget about being Jewish. We need to just become Greek. In fact, there was a high priest who took the name Jason because he said, it's just too painful to be a Jew. Well, what caused the end of that conflict between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies? Rome. Rome beat them both. Now, here's the thing about Rome. Rome, <laughs> Rome didn't know how, but they tried to be a little bit of a benevolent power. And oftentimes, they would allow a puppet ruler to be on the throne that had some relationship to those people. And Rome just did not understand the Jewish mind. There was a guy who shot pool with the Caesars. His name was Herod. And they kind of thought he was from that part of the world. So they let him be king. But Herod wasn't a Jew. He was an eyed man. I'm just, forgive me for all that, but I'm just asking you, even with all those long-distance promises, if you were living in that time frame and been through that, there hasn't been a king in 600 years, and you have a prophecy that there is going to be a king born, put yourself in the picture. Would you still have been expecting a king? God made a promise. Didn't feel like it was going to happen. But it did. It did. You roll into Matthew chapter 1, first chapter of the New Testament. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place while she was still a virgin, hello Isaiah, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. A little bit later, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of, hello, David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son. You're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred, hello, to fulfill the Lord's, I would add, long-distance message. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Galatians 4, 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. God made a promise. Didn't feel like it was going to happen, but it did. Put yourself in the picture. Would you have still believed? Some did, not many. 
There's a woman in the book of Luke named Anna. She was over 80 years of age, but she had been reading the signs just like the wise men were. And God had made her a promise. So let's look at this. In Luke 2, verse 38, she begins. This is when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, and, and, and Anna got to see him. She began thanking God and telling everyone in Jerusalem who had been waiting the coming of the Savior, some were looking for him. Most weren't. That the Messiah had arrived. In this first part of the message, I've been challenging you to put yourself in the picture. But you don't have to. You're in the picture. You're in the picture. 2021. You're in the same picture. 1,845 times God in the scriptures has told you that Jesus would return to the earth. 1,845. 45 times, 40 out of the 66 books of the Bible forecast that Jesus will return, even Genesis. And just like the people in the first century, there are a lot of signs for those who are paying attention. But to go back where we started, 2,000 years, that's when the New Testament was completed pretty much. 2,000 years is a long time to wait. And just like those days before the angel came to Mary, essence of being academically honest, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, does it? doesn't feel like it. Be honest. One of the definitive scriptures in the Bible that tells us about Jesus' return is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Let's talk about that. Let's read it. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Let's be real honest. Do you feel like that's real? When you look at the times we live in, are they consistent with the return of Jesus? We have the coronavirus, and now there's a new variant. We're all the way to O now. Omicron is one of the two Greek letters for O. And we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we have the coronavirus. We have so much evil in our world. You saw what happened in Wisconsin last week. What a horrific thing. But that's almost every day now, isn't it? Economies are on the brink. We're printing money in the United States. We're, we're printing money to pay ourselves money that we've borrowed. I mean, it's, it almost feels like a Ponzi scheme and a leadership vacuum. Let me ask you a quick question, just for those of you who study geopolitics. You see any strong leaders in our world today? Any place? Wait a minute. That's an awful lot like the way the world was right before Jesus came the first time. See, God never made a promise he didn't keep. There's a verse in the book of Joshua that I love very much. I wound up preaching this verse when I preached my dad's funeral. In Joshua 23, 14, it says, Deep in your hearts you know that everyone, every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. 
You don't have to put yourself in the picture. You are in the picture. You're in the picture today. In 2021, you're in the picture. God has made us a promise. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. There is a day marked in red on God's calendar, and just like Jesus came the first time, he's coming again right on schedule, and you are in the picture. God's never told a lie, and he's not about to start now. Well, I don't know when that's going to be. It could be today. It could be five years from now. I don't know when it'll be, 20. I have, I, we don't know the day or the hour. <laughs> like Sophie and Zeke, God's got stuff to do. I mean, that, that dog had to, had, there's some things that had to happen that they, they couldn't process, and I'm sure God's got stuff he wants to happen. But that day's marked in red. Well, I'll tell you this. Let's close here. You have a promise today that you can take with you today. Remember a few moments ago, I talked about how that our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, screwed up. God gave them one rule and they broke it. And because of that, they were separated. That's what sin does. My sin, your sin, their sin. But God would not allow his human beings and his world to spin into a black hole. And so in Genesis 3, God said, I'm going to going to do something here. None of us can be perfect. We, we can't get to heaven on our own. See, that's the problem with religion. Religion tells you somehow if you join a particular group and jump through some hoops that you'll get, your, get into heaven. That's all man-made stuff. We know it's phony. It smells funny. That's the problem with religion. Now, this is not a book of religion. This is a schematic. This is a plan. And God's, the whole plan of this book is God is like, I'm going to give you a pinch hitter. You can't do it yourself, but I'm going to... God in skin. God, God came into our world in the person of Jesus, human and God at the same time. And he ran the table, and he lived 33 years, never did one thing wrong, then took that perfect life and laid it on a Roman cross. And the way God saw it, the blood that came out of his body paid for every sin in your life past, present, and even future. You say, Mark, how is that possible that sins I haven't even committed yet? And here's the thing. If you hear that as permission to do whatever you want, you just miss the whole idea of the gospel because you don't understand how the sin works. But, but here's the deal. You say, Mark, how is it possible that God could even forgive me of future issues? When Jesus died, they were all future and for the people who lived before, everything they had done was past. God has a deal on the table. He put his son into our world, God and human at the same time. What is so cool about that? We see here's the problem. We can't get to God because we're sinners, and God can't get to us because he'd have to compromise his integrity. So what does he do? He puts his son into the world, and Jesus is God. So with one hand, he can reach out and take hold of God, and he's human. So he can reach out and take hold of us, and then he can bring us together. That is the story of the Bible. And right now, God has an offer on the table. It's time sensitive. It'll run out when Jesus comes. And here's the deal. It goes like this. This is so different from religion. It's a gift. You can't earn it. What would, what would you pay? If you wanted to pay for one drop of Jesus' blood, what would you pay? 
You don't have it. You can never have it. The only way to have a relationship with God is to receive a gift. That's why the Bible keeps telling us believe, 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 because you see, anything that you would do would screw that up. It would quit being a gift. But if you, by faith, trust in what God has done for you and receive his gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, you can have all your sins washed away. It's not just that you've been acquitted. You're innocent because Jesus took your guilt on the cross. And then he arose from the grave, so he's that king that we read about in the Bible who's going to rule forever. And if you will receive him, if you will come into his kingdom and receive him as your king today, God's offer is that you can be forgiven for every sin, you can be adopted into his family, and you can have everlasting life. Still the best deal I've ever heard of. It's a promise. And God always keeps his promises. And say, Mark, I'd like to get in on it. Oh, I can't think of a better time than right now. How do you receive a gift? Hey, I mean, here's the deal. I mean, when, when, you're going to have Christmas, aren't you? And there'll be a gift under the tree, and somebody will reach and take a present, and they'll say, it's yours. Do you take out your wallet and say, how much is this going to cost me? Some families, you might. <laughs> no. You just reach out, and you receive. And that's how you accept Jesus. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to pray it slowly, line by line. And the reason I'm going to put a gap in between the lines is so you can decide if you want to say this to God, because it's what you want that matters to God even more than your words. But I'm going to pause, so I want you to think about this and decide if you want to say this to God. If you do, there is an awesome future-knowing past dealing with God who will be on the other end of your prayer. Here we go. Let's pray. Dear God, I am a sinner. I cannot fix myself. But I believe you love me very much. I believe your promise. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. And I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior. I receive him as my king. Help me to live for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hang with me for just a few more seconds. If you just prayed a prayer with me, I have a gift I want to give you. And you can get it today before you walk out of here. It's got a Bible, a New Spring Bible, just like I preach from. I know you may have a lot of questions. I wrote a little book called My New Walk with God that will answer a lot of the questions. It's not long. I have ADD. I don't write long books and a journal and some coupons. And I promise you, no hidden agenda. We just want to take your first steps in following Jesus. So you see the colors of this box? When you walk out with your in South and North Auditorium, you'll see these info centers all over the campus. Now, here's, if you want one of these to take with you today, here's all you need to do. Take out your smartphone and text one word. Here's the word, prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, prayed, 
to 97,000. And when you get back there, I promise you, they won't hassle you, bother you, ask for your routing number, anything. They just want to give you this. And you say, Mark, I don't have my phone with me. Neither do I right now. Just go out and say, I pray with Mark. That'll work. Thank you for your patience. For those of you who were watching the filming earlier on, I just have really thrown our hat over a high wall. Most churches, if they do something with their Christmas broadcast, they'll, they'll do what they taped the year before. I just felt like the 2020 message wasn't the message for 2021. And so because, we're, because of your patience and grace, we're going to be able to get this out in time to be all over the world on Christmas Eve and Christmas. So thank you for your patience here today and being part of us. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.